Hello and welcome to episode 192 of the official EstablishTheRun.com podcast. My name is Adam Levitan. I'm one of the co-founders here at ETR. Vacation is over. I am a bronzed Adonis. I am ready to talk ball again. And for that, I am joined, of course, by fellow co-founder Evan Silva, who just released his tiers for drafting, just updated his top 150. Evan, how's it going? Going well, going well. Been grinding on these tiers all week, uh, getting the the 150 straightened out so that they they correspond. And um, yeah, I mean, it's I started drafting as well. So um, yeah, the, the the fantasy football season is upon us. Yeah, I think after Memorial Day is really when we'll start to see a big bump in interest in drafts and stuff like that for sure. And nothing like Evan mentioned when you're actually drafting, it makes everything, it changes everything. Like having skin in the game is just everything, even if it's for low stakes. I really recommend people, even if you have a high stakes draft coming up in September, get in some lower stakes draft. And I think you'll learn a lot about how it's going to go. Guys are higher on or lower on than market. On today's show, we're going to discuss those recent changes that Evan has made to his top 150, some notable things from the tiers and some outliers where he is versus the market. Before we get into that, wanted to remind everyone of three quick things. First, the bundle package is live. Had a bunch of requests for that. Bundles our draft kit and our in-season package together at a discount. You can you can find that on the subscribe page of the site. Second, with Underdog, finally live in my temporary, for now, home state of Pennsylvania. Want to remind everyone that all draft kit subscribers get a $10 credit on, under, on Underdog. But if you're making a new account and you're in Pennsylvania, you will be making a new account. You get a $35 credit on Underdog. Draft kit is only $34.99, so it's essentially free. Easy game, head to the site, find the underdog credit link at the bottom of the best ball menu. And finally, finally, if you are a subscriber, be sure to get in the Discord. Even Evan, the Stone Boomer Evan, is in the Discord now. We're all in there chatting it up. There's a Jerry Bot. There's a Team Sex stickers. Um, next week, Evan and I and Leone and Gallagher and Dink will all be in there for an hour each just doing a quick AMA, ask me anything. So I'm looking forward to that. That should be fun. All right, let's get into it here. Going to start with some changes that you made between your first run of the 150 and this run of the first 150. And I know Saquon wasn't a big move in terms of where he was in the draft, but the first round gets so much attention, Evan. You know everybody wants to know who do you like at number two overall, who do you like at number three overall. You had Saquon as the RB2 behind Christian McCaffrey. In the latest run you had, you have Dalvin Cook, number two. And in fact, you've actually dropped Saquon to RB4 behind Alvin Kamara also. So tell the people what you were thinking in dinging Saquon a little bit at the top there. Yeah. And so to reiterate, anytime that guys are in the same tier, I mean, they're very, very close together and the difference is minimal between them. So, I mean, I, I could rotate these guys around the, the guys that are in the first tier several times um, you know, before the start of the season. And it really wouldn't make a big, di big difference. And, you know, I've always said, like, if you're using the top 150, and even if you're using the tiers, you know, don't regard them as like the Bible, do, do not just draft like straight off of them, have your own personal convictions. And hey, if you like Saquon better than, than Dalvin Cook, take them. You know, but I, I think that the, the reason that I shuffled these guys around a little bit and moved Saquon Barkley back is because I went back and I did a little bit more research on um, uh, Saquon Barkley's injury, the extent of his injury. And 
it just gave me a little bit more pause. And, and at the end of the day, you know, when I was on the, I'm drafting in the, the MFL 10 of death, uh, I did not name it that no one actually dies. Um, but in the MFL 10 of death, you know, if I had been drafting, I'm drafting at the back end of the first round, but, you know, I was looking at the draft board and if I would, would have been drafting in the top five, this is how I would have done it. I would have taken Christian McCaffrey if I had the 1.01. I would have taken Dalvin Cook if I had the 1.02. I would have taken Kamara if I had, if I had, had the 1.03. And then I would have taken Saquon if I would have had the 1.04. And so, you know, the, these rankings and, and, and tiers are a reflection of just my opinion. Um, and, and then I, I would have taken uh, – and, and at, at this point, based on the, uh, the extra research that I did on Saquon Barkley's injury – uh, that that re reflects my opinion on on how I think that this top five should should go. Uh, for the record, we also have Dalvin number two overall in projection, and so we agree with you there. The um, thing about Saquon's injury, man, and you know, I was looking into this also. Week two ACL tear, but also needed a meniscus repair and had to wait until October to get the surgery. Our buddy yep. Jordan Ronan has speculated that maybe out of the gate it won't be full. Like normally, Saquon gets 85, 90 percent of the snaps. Maybe in week one, week two, week three, week four, maybe it's only 65, 70, 75% of the snaps. And obviously, we're splitting hairs here. Saquon's still going to be extremely productive in that role. But yeah, I think there's more risk there. I would certainly take Dalvin ahead of Saquon, agree with you there. I think we can talk and, and argue more about Kamara later. But I wanted to ask you, because people are going to say, Evan, you're the big dog guy. You love the big dog. You would have big dog RB5. I've seen people take the big dog as high as RB3, third overall, are you turning your back on the big dog? Why big dog down to number five now? I mean, it's because he doesn't catch passes. You know, I mean, that's and, – and we had some hope for him last year that he might, you know, be able to get into 30, the 30 catch range, and he did not. And he didn't even really come close, even though he set career highs in targets and receptions, but I think he was still right around 20. So, you know, the, the Titans just have shown no commitment – I mean, they were playing Jeremy McNichols over him at times in passing situations, you know. So they have shown no commitment to getting the big dog more catches. Um, I have him as a top five overall player, a top five overall pick. I, I love the big dog. But, you know, the fact of the matter is Saquon Barkley, who's right in front of him, could catch 70 passes this year. And Derrick Henry, I mean, his ceiling is probably like 25. Right. And, and, you know, a lot of this is will the Titans be winning games? And I know we've talked a lot on the Win Totals podcast about how good we think the Titans will be. I still think they're very good. I still think that they're good as good as the Colts. I know Evan maybe thinks and some other people we had on to talk about Win Totals thinks the Titans are maybe a little bit worse after losing Arthur Smith, after losing Janu, after losing Corey Davis. And I totally understand that. So if you think the Titans are going to be worse, they have a middling schedule right now based on opposing win total, opposing opponent team win total. They have the 13th easiest schedule. So pretty much right in the middle of the pack. So, yeah, I think there's definitely risk there. But, man, no team is as committed to just giving the big dog 20 carries, 25 carries, using him inside the five, inside the 10, as the Titans are. And so, you know, there was a long period in my life where I was getting it shoved down my throat by the big dog in DFS. And last year had a lot of success not um, falling victim to that and shoving the big dog down somebody else's throat. And that's always fun. No, and the, the game script thing is a really good point um, because uh, th there's no more game script dependent player in this first tier than yeah. Derrick Henry, and that's like by a long shot. Yeah. You know, all the other guys here catch passes. Yeah. He does not. 
And if the Titans are going to be worse, and I do think that they're going to be worse unless they go get Julio, which I think would be sensational. They'd have to, they have to, they'd have to do some uh, restructuring when it comes to contracts. Might have to cut a guy that they might not want to cut right now. Um, But if they were to go get Julio, I think that that would be a a big boon to Derrick Henry. But yeah, right, right now, I mean, I'm concerned about game scripts and obviously the fact that he doesn't catch passes. Okay. Last thing we're going to talk about in the top tier here. You were very low on Zeke in the when the first top 150 came out, RB12, 18th overall. Now you have him at the back end of this top tier, RB6. Um, obviously, we know the bull case for Zeke is that Dak is back. Lyle Collins, Tyron Smith, Zach Martin are back. The bull case is that this is, team is going to score 30-plus points per game. I, I get all that. The downside on Zeke is he was legit outplayed by Tony Pollard last year. Um, but yeah, obviously big move for you on Zeke, moving him way up here. What was the thinking behind that? Yeah, I mean, when I do that that initial run of the top 150, it's like a super rough draft and I'm going to make big swings and big changes as I as I start to draft myself, as I you know dig into the tiers, the, the team previews will be coming next. Um, so as I just do more, you know, I, I, it's, it's a lot of feel initially and the feeling coming out of last season was that there was, there should be a sour taste in your mouth about Ezekiel Elliott. He didn't look good on the field. He got outplayed by his teammate, uh, Tony Pollard, Tony Pollard, of course, is returning. Uh, but you know, a lot of really good players around Ezekiel Elliott are returning as well. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, it's really hard to get away from the fact that he is still solidly the Cowboys lead back in an yeah. offense that I think is going to finish top five in scoring. Um, and uh, also, I, 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 you know, it just if you're just doing like statistical projections, I mean, Ezekiel is going to fall in, a, as a top 10 player in, in oh, yeah. any, any way that you slice it. So and st- statistical projections are, are a piece of the puzzle. So um I, I, at the end of the day, I, I had to bump Zeke Elliott way up after kind of just being really down on him uh, from a feel standpoint in that initial top 50 run. Yeah. When Dak was healthy last year and they got behind in all those games and then stormed back, I was encouraged by Zeke staying on the field, by Zeke catching three, four, five, six passes per game. We currently have Zeke for about 18 touches per game in projection and Tony Pollard for about eight, eight and a half. And so, you know, at, at 18 touches per game, obviously the red zone, obviously the pass catching, you know, Zeke is going to project very, very well. I have some concerns that Tony Pollard is just flat better, but I don't think Dallas like cares. Like they want to feed Zeke. So I don't want to overthink it too much there on Zeke. Um, Another NFC East running back, you've moved Antonio Gibson up from RB21 to RB17, not a huge move, but now you have Antonio Gibson ahead of Miles Sanders, ahead of David Montgomery, ahead of DeAndre Swift. One thing we talked about, I think with Kareem, was what was weird, or not weird, but maybe unexpected that we saw last year. We thought Gibson would come into the NFL as a satellite back, a pass catcher, a space back. But actually last year, he was their early down back for the Washington football team. He was in the pure runner role. J.D. McKissick stole a lot. If you think that this year they're going to use Antonio Gibson in more of that pass catching role, I mean, my God, Antonio Gibson could have an absolutely monster, monster year as the feature runner plus a share of the McKissage role with Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I mean, gosh, I, I love Antonio, Antonio Gibson. I know you were talking a lot about this tier here of all these guys that are really, really close and tough to parse through. I agree I agree with you. I think Antonio Gibson 
maybe it's my age model bias creeping in, but I think Antonio Gibson has the highest upside out of all these guys. Maybe it's my Washington football team bias too, but go ahead on Antonio Gibson. Uh, yeah, I have a, a third tier of running backs that is, is really difficult to parse. And Leone, you and, and I and um, uh, Herzig were, were talking about it in our Slack. Uh, and I think Taylor uh, also chimed in. Right now I have Chris Carson at the, at the head of the tier. But I think that as I reorder all this stuff and, and, and keep going over and, start, and c- continue to draft myself, I think Antonio Gibson might end up as the number one player in this tier. It begins at RB14. Right now, I think I have Gibson at what, RB17? Yep, 17, yeah. Yeah. So he's been creeping his way up. And you're right. I, I remember him coming out of Memphis. There was actual debate about whether he was going to play slot receiver in the NFL. He had more receptions in college than he did rushing attempts. He only had 33 career rushing attempts at Memphis. He had 44 receptions. Um so and then we, we get, you know, there there has been like beat writer rhetoric that uh, the, re- the that the Washington football team wants to use Antonio Gibson more in the passing game, which they absolutely should. Mm-hmm. And then I think that, you know, moving on from Alex Smith to Ryan Fitzpatrick, like it's not going to be the J.D. McKissick show like it was. Last night. J.D. McKissick is like the, the ideal Alex Smith player. Um so, I, yeah, I think that Antonio Gibson, at the end of the day, I think he's probably going to end up as the RB14 in my rankings um, uh, right atop that third tier. Yeah, and when the Washington football team wins 14 games, this is going to look great. Okay, Melvin Gordon up to RB30 from RB39. Um, we talked a bunch about Melvin Gordon before. What made you kind of bump Melvin Gordon up a pretty significant amount here? Yeah, I talked to some people. I mean, I had thought that he would be in danger of, of getting cut. And I talked to some people uh, close to the Broncos, and they don't think he's going to get cut. So um, that was really, you know, again, that, that initial top 150 is very, very much feel-based. And as I get more information, uh, there's going to be big swings there. I, I think he's too high right now, actually. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, scale him back down. But the reason that he jumped is just because I got more information. Yeah, I I think whenever I'm evaluating this Broncos situation, I think about the value touches. Is Melvin Gordon better at the goal line than Javante Williams? Is he better in the pass game than Javante Williams? And coaches like to use Melvin Gordon at the goal line. He's a big dude. I think coaches like to use Melvin Gordon in the pass game too. So yeah, you know, it's tough. Javante is going much higher than... Melvin Gordon drafts right now. I think maybe it should be a little bit closer than it is, but I certainly don't want to be high on Melvin Gordon. Um, Kyle Pitts. And we're going to talk about Julio in the next episode when we get to some news. But man, I mean, Kyle Pitts, after we kind of banged on him, now all this Julio stuff comes out. And now you have him up to the TE5 from TE10. I mean, at the tight end position, like you could get buried by a big Kyle Pitts year. You know what I mean? If he separates from all these guys in this other tier. So I don't want to spend too much time on this because we're going to talk about Julio in the next episode, but I assume the Kyle Pitts move is just simply based off the Julio news. Yep. It's, yeah. all, it's all you need to know. And I mean, we, we when I came out with him low, when I came out with Kyle Pitts low, I said, hey, if they end up trading Julio, we're going to move him way up. You know, but at that time, I was more hopeful uh, that the Falcons would keep Julio. I still think that they should. I think it's really stupid. Uh, for them to trade him. I mean, why why do you like extend Matt Ryan and then yeah. trade away Julio? Like they should be going all in on their offense this year and try to put up like 40 a game. Um, but I, it actually sounds like 
the the impetus for for the trade uh, chatter was uh, via Julio himself. That that Julio yeah. came in and requested the trade. Um, I know. I listened yeah. to the Jason OTC's podcast. He made it sound like the Falcons literally had no have no choice. They have no they can't even sign their rookie class. They have absolutely no choice but to get rid of one of Matt Ryan or Julio Jones. And that's what he made it sound like, you know. So I don't yeah. know. Man. Well, I mean, Deion Jones is a guy with a huge, huge salary, and they could probably change his salary or cut him. I mean, I think yeah. that Julio is more valuable than Deion Jones. Right. Um, I mean, there there's things that that they could do. I mean, they, yeah. it's you know, there's there's a ton of guys. I mean, there's Technically, 52 guys count toward the cap right now. I mean, that's 52 players. They, they could make a, a, a change elsewhere. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk more about that in the next episode. Before, uh, last two I want to talk about here are both uh, NFC South wide receivers. I was surprised about this one. You moved Michael Thomas. You had him at wide receiver 18. Now you have him up at wide receiver 10, the end of tier two. You have Michael Thomas a tier ahead of guys like Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb, Allen Robinson, Terry McLaurin, Mike Evans. I'm worried about the slant boy, Michael Thomas, with the quarterback change. But yeah, let, let's hear why move up for Michael Thomas. No, I mean, I'm worried about him too. I'm still lower than ADP uh, on Michael Thomas. I think he's wide receiver nine in ADP. I have him wide receiver 10. Uh, but, you know, the, the, the fact of the matter is the Saints went and did nothing really at the receiver position. And they just – they lost guys. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about Marcus Callaway, Deontay Harris, you know, Traquan Smith rounding out their wide receiver core. He's still in line to have a very, very large market share. And I think that the quarterback play, as long as it's Jameis, you want it to be Jameis yeah. and not Taysom Hill for the sake of Michael Thomas. But, I mean, they're, they're going to be scheming him the, the rock. So, I mean, this is, this is Sean Payton. You know, he knows how to get the ball to guys um, that, that he wants to get the ball to. That's, you know, one, one of the things that he's always been really good at is getting the ball to his playmakers. So I don't I don't think that his market share is going to evaporate. He's still going to have a, a really, really large market share, even if, if his efficiency lags uh, post Drew Brees. Yeah, I mean, my concern is that catch rate was such a big part of Michael Thomas's game. In other words, he had a really low A dot, right? And that's not great for fantasy. But when you're catching 90, 95% of the passes that come your way, I mean, my God, in full PPR, it's a print fest. Now, with Jameis or with Taysom, what happens when his ADOT stays the same, these kind of low slants and low hitches, but the catch rate goes down to 65, 70%. Then I have concerns about Michael Thomas. So yeah, I, I would say I'm lower than you on Michael Thomas, but I understand the argument. I mean, God, he's still going to get plenty of targets for sure. And right. maybe maybe Jameis no, I mean, and Taysom. The, you know, the, when he was dominating in catch rate and targets, um, you know, he was being ranked as the number one or number right. two overall receiver. And now I have him at number 10. Yep. So we, we've definitely lowered expectations for Michael Thomas. For sure. Okay. Elsewhere in the NFC South, there's a big DJ Moore fan contingent out there. That's not going to be happy with this, Evan. You have him down to the wide receiver 20. He was your wide receiver 12 on first run. Why the regression or why getting cooler on DJ Moore? there's just a big glut of receivers in this range from, you know, beginning with Amari Cooper at wide receiver 11, going down like into the, the late twenties that I really, really like and are difficult to sort. So I think this is another situation where guys might be moving around a lot, even though, um, you know, my, my opinion hasn't necessarily, you know, drastically changed on them. I, I love DJ Moore. I mean, he's and he's had he's opened his career, he came into the league really, really young 
and he's been really, really productive at a young age, and that's always a good sign. He may end up moving up a little bit um, uh, as we move forward, but you know, I, I'm I'm questionable on the quarterback play here. Um, I'm questionable on you know Chris, uh, Christian McCaffrey's coming back. Robbie Anderson has the connection with Sam Darnold already built in, mm-hmm. and so. I don't have super strong conviction on ranking DJ Moore really, really high right now um, just because there's a lot of moving parts in the Carolina passing game. Yeah, the Christian McCaffrey point I think is a good one, although Mike Davis did soak up a big target share. Um, for me, I don't think that Darnold's going to be worse than Teddy Bridgewater. Like I, the quarterback play, like Teddy Bridgewater was nothing special. I think Sam Darnold can perform at that level. So I'd probably have DJ Moore a little bit higher, but certainly not going overboard. Okay. Those are players that Evan has moved since the first 150. We're going to wrap up here with players Evan is big outlier on versus the market still. And we have about five of those we're going to talk about here. Chris Carson, RB14. He's RB19 in FFPC. He's RB19 on underdog. You already talked about this tier. It's really, really tough. I know you're a big Chris Carson fan. You're going to be significantly higher than market here, though, at RB14. What do you think about Chris Carson? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's a good player. He's playing in a good offense. He has shown that he can uh, have at least games uh, where he can catch a lot of passes. Um, the coaching staff loves him, um, you know, and, and they do have they, – they use other guys. You know, I think that they're going to try to uh, use uh, Rashad Penny a little bit more this year they've got DJ Dallas and Travis Homer and they, they, they've got a bunch of guys and they do sprinkle those guys in. And that to some extent limits the workload upside of Chris Carson. I think he's probably a better floor play than an upside play right now, at least as it pertains to the rest of this tier, which I believe runs through like RB 20 or RB 21. I want to say Deandre Swift is at the back end of this tier, mm-hmm. but you know, it's, it's, it's a really tough tier to sort. And um, I think that he's probably the safest bet yeah. out of out of this tier. And that's why I, I sort of initially am beginning with him leading it off. But I mean, I, I, I like all these dudes for different reasons. Miles Sanders, J.K. Dobbins, David Montgomery, I know, is in this tier. Um, and he, you know, was a league winner in the second half of last season. Now Tariq Cohen's coming back. And, you know, what, what, what's the offense going to look like? And um you know, there, there are concerns about all these guys. J.K. Dobbins has a really low receiving projection. I'm a little bit worried about Miles Sanders receiving projection. And there's a bunch of guys there in Philly, too. You know, but it's it's a fun tier. And, uh, but it, it's, it's there, there are a lot of running backs in the tier with that ha- present risk for various reasons. Um, and I think that Chris Carson probably has the, the, the lowest risk of the group. Yeah, we're getting into the third and fourth round here, and you guys can go on the site and read Jack Miller's work about what's known as the running back dead zone. I mean, you know there's a lot of risk here when you're betting on opportunity for a lot of these guys that are in this tier. It can be very, very, very tough for sure. All right, four wide receivers here. Adam Thielen's getting up there in the age model, man. You have him at wide receiver 16. He's wide receiver 23 in FFPC, wide receiver 21 on underdog. Obviously, Adam Thielen, I thought, was really good when healthy last year, but still outplayed by... Justin Jefferson, still you're higher, significantly higher than market on Adam Thielen. Talk to the people about that. Yeah, we were significantly higher on him than uh, than than, eight, than consensus last year, mm-hmm. and that was beneficial to us. We got a little lucky with the the massive touchdown count. I think he scored 14 TDs, mm-hmm. um, but 
you know, his chemistry with Kirk Cousins is very much established. And I'm going to always continue to bet on established in-place rapports between veteran quarterbacks and veteran receivers. I don't think that Adam Thielen has lost a step or anything. And I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of uh, by getting outplayed by Justin Jefferson because Justin Jefferson is an absolute beast. So I I still think that Adam Thielen should project for a, a high red zone market share um, he, I think he had almost double the red zone targets than did Justin Jefferson mm-hmm. last year. And I, I think that he's going to continue to be a, a very, very, you know, useful weapon for Kirk cousins and a, a, another safe pick. Yeah. I mean, you could see when the, when the Vikings got down inside the 10 yard line, they had very specific plays for Kyle Rudolph or if Irv Smith was in there and for Adam Thielen, like it was very, very, very obvious where they were going. And we'll talk more about Irv Smith. I'm sure as the summer goes along. Uh, DJ Chark, you have him wide receiver 21. He's wide receiver 31 on FFPC, wide receiver 31 on underdog. 10 full wide receiver spots ahead of market on DJ Chark. I know you think Trevor Lawrence is a big-time talent elevator. I assume that's why you want to be high on DJ Chark here. Yeah, I think that I want to make him um, one of my like flag plant guys this year to where we we make sure that we're above ADP on him throughout the process. And we're getting a good jump start here. Uh, As you say, we got him at wide receiver 21. His ADP is wide receiver 31. So, uh, I mean, I I think the dude can ball. He showed that in 2019. 2020 was a disaster on every level for the Jacksonville passing game. And I think that Trevor Lawrence is going to come in. And I mean, I think they're going to be a top 15 offense right away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll talk about this when we talk about Travis Entienne in the next episode. I think there's a lot of mouths to feed in Jacksonville. You're asking for Marvin Jones. You're asking for Entienne. You're asking for LaVisca Chenault. You're asking for Carlos Hyde and, and James Robinson to, to play as well. And so there's a lot of mouths to feed. But DJ Chark, I think, has the highest ceiling in terms of the pass catchers here and what he can do. Uh, apologies to the LaVisca Chenault mob, which I know is strong out there. Last one, our boy. Much controversial. Shout out to me, Marquise Brown. Fake Hollywood Brown, quote unquote Hollywood Brown, Hollywood Florida Brown, not Hollywood California Brown. You have him at wide receiver 27. He's wide receiver 45 on FFPC, wide receiver 45 on underdog. To Marquise Brown's credit, he came on at the end of last year. Like he actually made it a race with Will Fuller, even though Will Fuller was suspended. He actually made it a race late last year in that bet. I actually kind of think that this Bateman thing and adding Sammy Watkins might actually help Marquise Brown. Like, he is not a number one wide receiver. He needs one-on-one coverage. He needs to blow the top off. He needs teams to, like, forget about him and just get open. That just wasn't happening last year. So I kind of agree with you that this situation might actually be better, even though it seems worse because the target share is likely going to decline. It's a tricky projection, though, man. Obviously, he's an outlier given how small he is and given how poorly he played. Lamar Jackson is an outlier as well as a thrower. It's just tricky, man. But you're way ahead of market on here. Uh, Talk to me about Marquise Brown. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, it's, he's entering his third season. I think he got better from year one to year two. And I still think he's the favorite to lead the Ravens in targets. So to me, I mean, that adds up to being a, a top 30 receiver uh, from a ranking standpoint. Um, I think that the the consensus is, is way too low on Marquise Brown right now. Yeah. I mean, Sammy Watkins is not a guy that, right. that, that scares me at all. I really liked Rashad Bateman. Uh, coming out, you know, I, I thought he deserved to be a first round pick, but 
I mean, is he, I mean, is, is this late first rounder going to jump in and, you know, start dominating targets in Baltimore? I don't think so. I think that yeah. again, the, the, the in-place rapport between the quarterback and, and the receiver who's still really young entering his third season, that's something that I'm, I'm willing to bet on it and be above ADP on. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, they schemed a lot of like quick little bubble screens and quick hitters to Marquise Brown at the end of last year. If that stuff continues, I think that's good. If that starts going to Bateman more, which I don't think that it will, but that would be a concern for me. But yeah, I, I you know, I'm not nearly as low. I thought people were just out of control too high on Marquise Brown last year. I mean, taking him over Will Fuller. Oh my God. My God. Drew Dinkmeyer. What were you thinking? Okay. We'll be back next episode to talk about some news. We had a lot of news coming out of press conferences, out of minicamps, stuff like the Anthony Lynn Lions comments, the Julio trade, Mike Davis's thighs, Joe Mixon pass down stuff, all that stuff we'll get to in the next episode. In the meantime, be sure to head to the site. Evan's tiers are up. His updated 150 will be up shortly. Ryan Reynolds has been doing a great job with the awards. Jack Miller's stuff is up. Leone's stuff is up. Check it all out. For producer Luke, for Evan, I am Adam. Good luck. Everybody.